Tonight's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is the word of the Lord. You probably noticed that this summer we're going kind of slowly, um, <laughs> like one verse. <laughs> That's pretty slow, pretty slowly. Uh, through First Peter, and part of that is uh, I'm inspired by Monday night. Uh, they dig deep into the text and find wonderful things there, and just sit with it. But also, uh, there's just so much here. There's just so much in this book that I hate to rush through it. And tonight, I, w- I want to ask a question that I think is actually a pretty hard question. I was afraid that if we just read this verse, we might miss it, and it's, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, you know, if you just go online and you Google fear, the first thing you read is that it's a natural instinct that protects us from enemies and predators. Okay, so I'm supposed to fear the Lord. Uh, is he a predator or an enemy? Uh, hope not. Uh, some synonyms for the word fear? Dread, horror, terror, hatred, loathing, aversion, and revulsion. That's a happy place to start your devotions. Um, the Greek word for fear is phobos. We get our word phobia from it. Here's a definition of phobia. An anxiety disorder in which the individual has a relentless dread of a situation. Living creature, place, or thing, individuals with a phobia go to great lengths to avoid a perceived danger, which is much greater in their minds than in real life. So, is that how we're supposed to think about God? Common phobias in the top ten. Fear of spiders, fear of snakes, fear of heights, fear of closed spaces, fear of thunderstorms, fear of needles, fear of water. And I, I think I know some people for whom fear of God could be a phobia in a bad way, too. Just an ongoing sense that I'm bad and he's going to get me. And then if you associate the fear with religion in the media today, whether it's ISIS or anything like that, connecting fear with God seems to be kind of dangerous. But it's all through the Bible. Ecclesiastes 12, this is the sum of it all. Fear God, keep his commandments, for that is the sum total of humanity. Psalm 112, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And it's pretty much all over the New Testament too. Uh, Acts or Luke 1, and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who phobos him, fear him. In every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him, Acts 10. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. Acts 9. But what does that mean? How do you connect together a loving father with the fear of the Lord? Well, this verse that we're in tonight, I think, can can help us at least head in the right 
direction. Peter begins, he says, if you call on him as father, uh, or you could translate it, since you call on him as father, and he's, he, he's referring to this wonderful new covenant truth that because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, we now have this intimate Abba relationship with him. Galatians 4, we cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15, we now come to him as our intimate father. Uh, it's a beautiful truth. Paul loves to unpack it. Ephesians chapter 1, he just opens it up and he, and he says that uh, he just praises God for this intimate father relationship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his grace, which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Whatever fearing God means, it needs to be worked out in the context of that passage. We are loved. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are part of God's family. Peter starts there, and then he says, live your lives with fear. Now, actually, he he says that in a couple words. Then he says, If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. So the father that loves us so lavishly is also the father that judges us according to our deeds. And that's not something that we naturally think of. What, what, What could it mean? Well, for starters, we know that Peter cannot be referring to the last judgment, right? Because he's writing to Christians. Jesus says in John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. John 5.24, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Romans, and it does not come into judgment. Romans 5.8, Christ died for us, so we'll be saved from the wrath of God. So there is no way that what he's saying here is that every day we get up and we have to pass a test and we get a grade at the end of the day and God is judging to see if our average at the end gets us in. That is clearly not what this passage is about. That's what the whole gospel is about, is that we don't earn our way into anything. So if it's not talking about the last judgment, what does he mean? Well, uh, the word just means to assess, to discern... And then there's another little interesting thing that you notice in the Greek. And and honestly, one of the reasons I wanted to go slowly is because I felt like we should maybe pay more attention to the Greek. My Greek is rusty, and it takes me longer to translate the passages. (laughs) So that's one reason we're going so slowly. It's a present active participle, and that means he's judging us now. So he says, since you call on God as your intimate father the Father who is assessing and discerning you right now. Well, I think what he's talking about here is the discipline of the loving Father. I mean, what does a father do? What does a mother do? 
you love your children. You're constantly watching your children. You're noticing things in their lives that might hurt them or keep them from becoming all they're supposed to be. And when necessary, sometimes you correct them so that they will grow up and be safe and do everything God called them to be. I think that's the idea here. That to fear a loving father is simply to acknowledge that a loving father in perfect love will discipline us to help us grow. And to have, have a kind of a, of a holy uh, reverence for that reality. Uh, John 15, 2. Jesus says it's like a good farmer pruning a tree so that it'll be more fruitful. And then in Hebrews 12, the writer says, My children, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is treating you as his children, for what child is there whom the Father does not discipline? When uh, we first moved to town very early on, we, we lived off of Dutchtown Road. And some of you may not know that road, but it's out west. It's pretty busy. It was very busy then. And we lived in a trailer. And Hunter was two or three, I don't remember. And um, I was... I was tasked with running, with watching Hunter, and we we had I think two others at the time, and um, I uh, I lost him, um, and so I noticed that he's no longer there, and uh, didn't tell Sandy because I knew she'd kill me. So I, I I'm running around, I'm looking for Hunter, and ten minutes later, a car pulls up off of Dutchtown Road. And Hunter gets out. And the man says, is this your kid? <laughs> I said, yeah, thank God. Yes, uh, sir, that's, uh, that's my kid. And so Hunter was disciplined um, because he had to understand that when you're two and a half, you don't wander down Dutchtown Road. And I hope that he had some fear over that discipline that protected him from doing things like that in the future. I think that's the idea here of fearing the Lord. It's not fear of punishment. Christ bore our punishment. It is that sense that any child has in a healthy family of, I know my dad or my mom's crazy about me, But there are boundaries, and if I cross over them, there will be consequences. So let's work this out a little bit, though, because it can get a little tricky figuring out, am I experiencing the loving discipline of the Lord, or is life just happening? Or am I under spiritual attack? Or am I unlucky? How do you know whether or not you're being... Disciplined by the Lord. We had four children. One of them loved to be alone. One of them loved people. It took us a while to figure out that the punishment or the discipline of putting one in the room uh, did not always work because one particular child kind of wanted to go to the room. (laughs) So I, I think we had to figure out different ways. And I think it's the same way with us. God disciplines us in different ways. But the principle behind it all is when he brings discipline into your life, it's as a loving father pruning you so that you'll grow, protecting you from wandering down Dutchtown Road. Uh, I was trying to think of examples of this. It's different for everybody. 
Uh, last year, I was training for a long open water swimming race. And I kind of got obsessed with it. And I started to train uh, more than I probably should have trained. And I started to think about it too much. I started to get irritated if I couldn't get into the pool. Uh, it just be essentially became an idol to me. First, I hurt my neck. Then I hurt my back. Then I hurt my hip. And gradually, I'm not the fastest uh, study, but gradually, <laughs> I figured out that the Lord was saying, this is no longer healthy for you. Um, you've turned this into an idol. And so I, I had to to back off. So I, in my experience, I would say that my injuries were the gentle discipline of the Lord. Now, again, I don't think every time something bad happens, it's the discipline of the Lord. You've got to be really careful here, right? I mean, Jesus points that out. Why did the tower fall on these guys? Is it their parents or them? Jesus says, nobody sinned. Just stuff happened. But I do think this is a helpful framework, and I want you to think about this. Is there any way in which you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord tonight? And remember, this is part of the fearing God, is understanding that this loving Father will gently correct you to move you back towards him and towards health and protect you from hurting yourself. So is there, is there any sense in which the Lord's disciplining you tonight? Um, you might ask some questions like this. And by the way, I would, I would really work out this with close friends. Because I think you can really get messed up here. Particularly if you didn't have a really healthy relationship with your own father and you're prone to you know, ab abusive kind of uh, interactions. You can really get messed up here. But I think with a close friend who knows you well, you can ask questions like, you know, is the lack of joy that I feel in my job, this is not me, I love my job, um, but, you know, <laughs> is the lack of joy that I feel in my job God's gentle discipline telling me it's time for a change? I mean, you're trying, you're working hard, you just can't get any joy back. Could that be God's gentle discipline. Could the pattern of broken relationships in my life and the loneliness I feel, could that be a little discipline just encouraging me to look at the way that I relate? Could my anxiety be related in any way to the amount of time I spend on social media? Could the sluggish, depressed feelings I have be related to eating too much sugar and not exercising enough? And then a lot of times, God just disciplines us by allowing us to just experience the consequences of, of our action. And again, remember, it's a loving Father who wants you to become whole and healthy. This is not punishment. This is keeping your kid off Dutchtown Road. So is there, is there anything in your life tonight that maybe you're just wrestling with it, and why is this going on? And this, is, this is so frustrating, and, and Lord, I just, I'm, I'm just, why do I feel this way? And why have I lost my joy? And why am I irritable all the time? I just want you to ask, is there a sense in which I'm, the Lord's gently disciplining me? He's just kind of pushing me back. He's pruning. He's cutting off, saying, hey, you got a little, little bushy there. Come on back. Let's trim you up a little bit.
Now, this, I read about 12 blogs and seven commentaries on this text, and this is where they all end with this idea of personal pruning. But there are some other dimensions of this, and I wanted to just briefly look at them with you. Uh, but it's a little bit difficult to go into because um, the Bible just kind of sets out a principle. It doesn't flesh it out very much. Another sphere where we can be pruned, where God can judge us, and this is another reason why we should fear him, respect him, is as a, as a community of faith. Now, that's what Revelation 2 and 3 is about, right? Jesus is walking through these churches in, in, in Turkey, and he's saying, this is what you're doing well. This is where you're struggling. Uh, he says to the church in Ephesus, you've been very faithful in persecution, but you've lost your first love, and I want you to repent. Come back to me. If not, I'm going to take away your lampstand. That means the pres- you know, my presence. And so there, there is this sense that a community can experience pruning too. And here's why I think I'm a little reticent. I almost dropped this part. Um, many years ago, I was in a community that started to take this principle real seriously. And it became toxic. And by that I mean, there was this sense that we had done something wrong to displease the Lord, and that he was disciplining us as a church or a community, but he wouldn't tell us what we did. And then it became this speculating about this and that. And for me, as the leader of the community at the time, it became spiritually abusive because it was like my father was saying, Doug, I'm really upset with you. You better change. Well, what did I do, Dad? I'm not telling. So this is a, you've got to be careful how you move into this. Because remember, Father, love, grace, it's about growth. That's the whole context here. Um, but I, I do want it to be part of our framework, because maybe this is all I'm asking for tonight. And I, I think this can be true of our whole community here and even the little communities that, that make up this bigger community, right? I mean, Monday night's a community. The group that meets at Branson's is a community. The Wednesday morning prayer group is a community. The group that meets at the Holbrooks is a community. I hope all of you have a little mini communities in your communities. Sometimes God can prune those communities. And I, I, I think it looks like this, that... First, when it's no fun anymore, not that fun is the ultimate test, but I mean, that, that's just a little clue when, I don't want to go tonight. When it's no fun anymore, and when it seems like everything you try is just like bumping up against something. It's just one frustration after the other, and, and it just seems like an endless argument about why this isn't working and what we should do next and and then sort of this toxic anxiety and frustration starts to come into the community and then division starts to creep in one of the things that we should do when that happens is just step back 
and ask, is the Lord disciplining us somehow? Is there a way where he's sort of lifting his hand off of us, allowing us to maybe experience some some of the enemy's attacks so that we'd come back to him? So we'd, we'd turn back to him? So it's something that I'd like us to just kind of have in the back of our minds as we go together as a family, because there'll there'll be times in our future when we struggle with each other, and we need to at least ask, Lord, as as a church, have we kind of drifted off somewhere? And here's the tricky thing about it. Usually you don't know. Usually spiritual drift is just very slow and imperceptible, and it happens over time and over years. Before you know it, just something sort of starts to die. And I think that's when a time when we come back and we pray and we ask, Lord, have we drifted? Because there's pruning that way too. There's a third kind of pruning that you find in the, in the Bible, and, and this is maybe the most difficult to get our minds around, but God prunes nations too. He, the Bible says he judges nations um, two different ways. Uh, Romans one twenty one: for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Uh, one of the ways that he judges nations after years of not responding to the gospel, not turning back to him, is he hardens their hearts and turns them over to their sin. And then uh, there's kind of a corollary to that. In, in Genesis 15 and Deuteronomy 9, there's this idea that God is very patient with a nation and very merciful but he'll let the wickedness of the nation build up for so long, and then finally he will, he will judge it. Um, now, sometimes I wonder if we're, we're experiencing that. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I wonder. And I know some of you are very discouraged about where we are as a nation. And what, what do you do if this happens? Um, I mean, what's our responsibility if God really does start to judge America as believers? I think we fear God. You know, it's interesting that he ends, he says, as you continue in exile... It's because even though we should love our country and be thankful for our country, our ultimate hope is not in our country, right? I mean, I love America. I've traveled all over the world. I love America. America can't be my God. And what I I get a little puzzled by sometimes, I want to just be as gentle as I can here, but I saw this happen eight years ago when President Obama was elected. I saw it happen last November when President Trump was elected. Uh, I saw it happen when Clinton was elected. I saw it happen when Reagan was elected. (laughs) Is that people of deep faith convictions quit. I, I give up. 
I can't be a Christian if Obama's in the White House. I can't be a Christian if Trump's in the White House, uh, you know, whoever. And I, I want to step back and say, really? <laughs> Isn't that the whole point? <laughs> Isn't this the time when we step up? I mean, uh, it's kind of why we're here. So if for whatever reason America is judged and disciplined, and, and by the way, somebody told me they, they were worried that the church would, would not last. There's a lot of literature out about that. I'm quite confident the church will be around long after America's gone. God promised to sustain his church. He did not promise to sustain even the greatest nation in the world. I'm not worried about the church lasting. It's going to be here. But what I, I encourage you to do, if this is just a deeply unsettling time for you and you're very depressed and discouraged and you do feel like God's judgment is coming on America, first thing I do is, one, get off Facebook. Two, pray fervently. I'm not hearing anybody talk about First Timothy. Pray fervently for Donald Trump, whether you love him or hate him. The Bible says pray for those in power. Pray, 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 pray. Third, act locally. Most of us aren't going to be able to do something at a global or a national level, but there's a little piece that you can do something about. There's a little piece. I'm in my ninth year coaching the swim team now. There have been half the nights where I walk out the door and I think, I'd really rather go home. I'm tired. It's still fun. It's not as fun as it was when I started. I'm still going to do it because that's my little thing. What's yours? Just one little thing that you can do to work for justice. I think that's what it means to fear God. It means to understand that you're part of a loving family, that he's so crazy about you that he'll actually prune your bush, move even at times violently into your foliage, to help the sap flow freely into the healthy parts of your life. Resist it at your peril. Let's pray.